Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Your host, Jesse Jameson, has a real treat for you. You are about to hear a great story. And if Jesse brings his A-game, some good commentary too. And later on, we'll let you know how you can join Jesse as a guest. Now, without further ado, here's Jesse. Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Today's friend is Brian from Chicago. And Brian's story that he's going to be sharing is my haunted house Ooh, brian welcome to the show the floor is yours well hi jesse it's a uh, nice to be here um i am talking to you from my haunted house as we as we sit here chatting um it, actually i would i would call it my former haunted house because i i truly believe that it is the problem has been mostly eliminated if not completely so um we, we could talk about how how that came to be as we get into the story, but um, I bought born, this house. Were you born in this house, Brian? I was not. No, I was born in Detroit. Um, grew up there. Didn't leave till I was thirty-six. Uh, I got a job offer in Pennsylvania. Uh, went out there. Um, ended up uh, working in Manhattan, and uh, finally moved to Chicago area in two thousand and four. Oh my God! This means that you're an unfortunate Lions fan, probably, aren't you? That's true. Um, oh and if we want, if we want to talk about hauntings, <laughs> there's something haunting that team for sure. Um, in fact, there is, you know, there is rumors of curses and stuff. You know, there was the curse of Bobby Lane is one of the, uh, was, Bobby Lane was their championship quarterback in 1957 um, around that time period anyway. And he, they had a competition going on with Tobin Rote, who was another quarterback. And uh, I think they had back-to-back championship appearances, 56, 57. One was, one was Bobby Lane, one was Tobin Rope, but then there was some fallout with the management. And the story goes that uh, Bobby Lane left saying, this team will never win, you know, another championship. And something along those lines. And they haven't. Yeah, so the curse since did. Since 1957. Bobby Lane. The is- curse seems to have stuck, yeah. What a horrible human being. No, we're going to forgive him because I think he's a Hall of Famer, if I know right. Yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, So, so Brian, I always find paranormal stuff so interesting. It's not uncommon for me to be watching paranormal caught on camera. I consider stuff with aliens and Bigfoot in that same grain of entertainment for me. Absolutely love the stuff. However, I also um, have a mom who went and saw the movie Exorcist when she was younger. Uh Her and yes. her girlfriend, Pat, they go back to their apartment, and then apparently they had a really freaky situation where they felt like their bed was moving. So I know that the mind can be powerful, but at the same time, I also know that there's a great chance that this stuff could be 100% real. I assume when you're living in a house that you think is haunted, you're probably in the, in the party that thinks it's 100% real. So I'm really looking forward to hearing this story. Who purchased the house and why? Well... You know, we, it's interesting. I moved to Chicago uh, 2004, but I didn't move into this house right away. I ended up buying another house uh, in a close, suburb closer to Chicago. And uh, it was just, you know, I was, I feel I ended up in a bad situation. I wanted, I, one of the things I told the realtor, I said, I need a car, I need a house with a three-car garage. Don't even show me houses that don't have that. But I like it in this price range, da, 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 da. Well, this guy showed me houses that were, Right at the tippy top of my price range, of course. You know, I mean, this is what realtors do, or even just a little bit beyond. 
but he lied because he said these are the this is the cheapest three car garage houses in the area. And I was coming in from New York. I didn't have any, you know, any knowledge of the area. And so I believed him and I ended up buying a house. And then I found out like, you know, within three or four months that there was perfectly acceptable houses. I would have been wonderfully happy in that were like a hundred grand less, you know, just that's like probably, five that's, prob that's probably a New York thing. You know, people have in their heads that, Hey, New Yorkers are used to the top dollar prices. So when they come out to the Midwest or even the Southwest where I live, uh, everything seems cheap to them. So that might be one of those where you almost got taken advantage of just based on, you know, where you came from. I'm quite possibly. Yeah. But I mean, it, it was just a blatant lie. You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a little white lie either. It was bald faced. You know? <laughs> so after a year I was um, thinking about everything that was going on. I just said, got to get out of this house. Got to get out of this house. And I always wanted a house in the country. I always wanted a barn. And uh, so I was sitting at work one morning, kind of freaking out about my living situation. And I said, all right, all right. If, if, if I'm going to even think about moving, let's get what I want. Let's get a house in the country with the barn and land and, and the whole nine yards. So I uh, immediately went on. I, went, I was riding the train. So in Chicago, we had the commuter line, the Metro, which is a, metro, a commuter train all over the Chicago area. And uh, I rode the Metro into work. So I said, well, let me look at the Metro map and see what the farthest away I can get from downtown Chicago is and be able to still commute via the train. So I pulled up the Metro map and way out in the hinderlands was uh, Harvard, Illinois, where I live. And uh, I said, oh, okay, boom, let's, let's take a look. That's so I immediately went over to realtor.com typed in Harvard, Illinois, and the first house that came up is the one I bought and am living in today. Um, it, it, it was an interesting house, and I said, wow, what's that? And then there was like these little thumbnail pictures underneath, and uh, I saw one that had kind of a reddish color. I go, what's that? I clicked on it, and this beautiful barn appeared on the computer screen. And I, I looked at the price. I said, oh, my God, I got to go look at this immediately. I picked up the phone, called the realtor, and we set an, this was on a Wednesday, and we set an appointment to see the house on a Saturday morning. I mean, literally, it happened that fast. So let me get this straight, because I was a little confused. So the realtor that was originally trying to get you to buy a house that was about $100,000 more than it had to be wasn't the same realtor that you purchased no. this house from. Definitely okay, not. So that, yeah. so that was a chance to get a house that, that wasn't going to be haunted. You decided not to go with it because of smart reasons, <laughs> price, right? No, no. So I, I bought that. That first house I bought. You did? I lived in it for a year. Yeah. So you, were, to able sell to, you it. were able to sell it. Okay. Without I was that. able to sell, but I took a loss on it. Oh. I ended, up taking a, I ended up taking a big loss on it. Yeah. Our, our fortune started kind of going downhill. Um right at the right when it was decided to get out of that place you know um so it's like the house i ended up in started having <laughs> negative connotations on our lives uh even before we arrived there but th this is not uncommon that um you know that people that end up in haunted houses feel like they were attracted to them in some way that, that somehow they were summoned or led you know and that you end up uh in that situation by really weird circumstances and coincidences. Speaking of which, I always have been told that red is the most attractive color. 
And I'm a city boy, so I'm completely naive to this, but I noticed that you said you saw this beautiful red barn in one of the thumbnail pictures for this property before you purchased it. Is there a reason that barns are predominantly red color? Is there a tradition? Yes, there is a tradition, but the tradition is one of practicality, actually. Barns were popular, especially the the big, huge, three-story, gable-roofed oak ones that we're all familiar with from America, like, you know, iconic American barn. Well, that all those were built, you know, in the last 150 to probably the last one of those types was probably built 75 years ago now because oak eventually became ridiculously expensive and people stopped using it for building large structures. Um, and of course, we got the pole barn that, that basically evolved probably around the 50s. So prior to the 50s, you know, the barn was in vogue and the cheapest paint at the time, was red colored. <laughs> you just, really, you, just all... you answered a 44-year-old mystery for me, and I guarantee you I'm not the only one. So now we know that at least, traditionally speaking, red was the easiest paint to come by. They made it in droves. Exactly. Because of these barns, right? So, yeah. Uh, yep. th- that's awesome. But it really had no other reason other than just that was the, the most cost-effective. Any, anything that was, even white was more expensive than red. Red was the cheapest paint you could buy in terms of color, especially in volume because these are large structures. So people had, you know, farmers had to buy lots of it and that was the cheapest way to go. So even if it was a little bit cheaper than white, when you're throwing it on a three-story building, that becomes costly, that, that little extra markup. So, yes. and then of course, you know, once everybody was starting, you know, the crowd follows what everybody else is doing. And then it just became, you know, of course you paint your barn red. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> So not to get off the story, but do you enjoy your train ride every single day? Or is there times where you wish it was a 20-minute commute rather than, I assume it takes, what, 45 minutes to an hour? How long is your... Well, you know, it's funny. I had a 20, I had basically a 27, 25-minute commute, essentially, 26 minutes when I was living in my house that I left. And, you know, the funny thing about a 26-minute commute is that it's not enough time to really accomplish anything because it takes time to, you know, sit down, pull your laptop out of your bag, open your book or whatever you're going to do, kind of get into a groove, kind of get into a little bit of productivity. And then all of a sudden you have to pack up and get ready to get off the train. So, cause 20 minutes flies by. So it's, it's not enough time to really do anything productive, but it's long enough to be boring, <laughs> you know? So if you're sitting there staring out the window, 20, 26 minutes takes a long time. So it, you're always fighting that dilemma of either you couldn't get anything done or you're bored. So I didn't enjoy that, 20, that train ride at all. And when I moved out to uh, Harvard and started riding the train from there, the train was, the express train was 90 minutes. That's the express. You know, the, the milk runs like two hours and 20 minutes. So, um, but that train ride there you could actually do something. You know, and you look at your own life, Jesse, when you, when you think about it, 90 minutes is probably the amount of time that you would spend doing any particular activity without taking a break. You know, if you're sitting down reading a book, even watching a movie, cleaning the bar, cleaning the basement or the garage, after about 90 minutes, you go, you know what? <laughs> it's time for a break, you know? So 90 minutes is a good chunk of time and that train ride was 90 minutes. I have a work uh, route when I drive to work, and right now COVID's kind of slowed that down, but I have a work route that takes me one hour. 
Mm-hmm. And I and I need to take that full one hour just to kind of get my thoughts because I try to go through a, a little checklist of positive thoughts that I go through and just to get my mindset. And I go down Central uh, here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Central Avenue has the, that's where the millionaires live, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's just a beautiful street. It's lined up with tall shade trees. Um, and it's just so much more enjoyable than me trying to to make it there in half an hour via the freeway. Because the freeway is hit or miss uh, based, based on traffic jams and what have you. But, uh, but here's the thing, though, Brian. It does seem to me like an hour and a half to two and a half hours based on which train route you take. It does seem like that would be a little long when you consider that that's twice a day, right? There and then back. Yes, but I, I, the express is what I took 95% of the time. Very rarely would I take the longer milk runs. So the 90 minutes um, was nice thing about the 90 minutes was that it was clockwork. It pretty much, you know, got you to where you needed to be exactly every single time every day at the same time. So having that kind of certainty, whereas when, when you're driving, you know, traffic will vary from day to day. You know, you get stuck in a traffic jam, there's an accident. So you have to leave a lot of slop in there, especially if you want to make a dinner date or something. You know, you have to be sure to leave early enough and have enough wiggle room in there for the variability of traffic. With the train, you don't have to do that. You know, you could literally say, I'll meet you for dinner at seven o'clock and you can count on getting into town by 6.50 and have that 10 minutes. To is get the, it's, it's is the milk train, as you describe it, is that, uh, is that more romantical, so to speak? The, well, the milk run is just a euphemism or slang term for a train that makes every single stop. You know, mail run was another one, you know, <laughs> that's another term that was, I think was used. So how old are but, you at uh, this time, Brian? Right now I am. Uh, no, not, not right now. At the time when you purchased the house and you're starting to take the train and enjoy the longer route, how, how old are you? Uh, about 40, 45, I guess. Okay, so you were about my age now. So you had plenty of experiences in life. Up until this point, did you ever experience uh, anything that, were you a believer? Or were were you, did you ever think about paranormal type of activities? Yes, I've been a student of the paranormal probably since I was 21, 22, I'm guessing. Was there a reason for that, or was it just somebody said, "Hey, do you believe in ghosts?" And you know, you're sitting there with your buddies, maybe drinking a beer at college, right? And you say, "Yeah, I think so." Or, or what? What made you a believer at 21? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. Um, I just always had a huge curiosity about everything. Um, you know, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and you know, certainly the notion of spirits is something that anybody who grows up in a religious environment is, you know, is taught, you know. And um, so there's always this kind of, you know, tug of war between, you know, is that real, this, this religious upbringing, or is this kind of, you know, atheistic, scientific, you know, materialistic kind of thing that's pushed as the as the norm, as reality, is that real? And so I, I just had a, a basic curiosity about this kind of tug of war that was taking place in my own mind. And I thought, well, you know, I just, because of this curiosity, I just thought, you know, let me just go look and see what other people's experiences are, you know? And I'd seen movies like The Exorcist and I'd seen that stuff. And 
And the thing about the exorcist was based on a true story, right? Everybody's heard that. So, well, let me just go look and see what this is all about and, and read other people's experiences and histories and, and see what this is all about. So that makes me rare right there, you know, because most, the vast majority of people have not taken the time to dig into the literature at all. And, and many of them don't even know it exists for the most part. And so I've, I've re- I just read book after book after book on the topic of, of spirit possession, of exorcisms, of haunted houses, um, psychic phenomena. And it was just kind of an academic curiosity more than anything. And um, as I went on, I just uh, I, uh, learned more and more, and I became to be more and more persuaded. Brian, I am actually fascinated by the paranormal. I watch this show called Paranormal Caught on Camera mm-hmm. almost every weekend. It's kind of creepy how incredible some of that footage is. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to continue with Brian and his story, My Haunted House. So we'll be right back. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Are you tired of feeling disconnected and shut down? Since every choice has ripple effects, lasting happiness is a product of the choices we make each day. Tune in to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Lori Ann Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead introduced you to authors, musicians, artists, and innovators, all actively engaged in designing a world that works for everyone. Make sure you're along for the ride, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. When it comes to financial planning, most of us would probably rather have a root canal. Math, budgets, keeping ourselves and our loved ones secure after retirement, planning for retirement, risk, reward, and the like. How do you find the answers you need? Tune into Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina. They'll help you feel more secure in your investments and your future. Listen every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear, and listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Thanks for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. 
And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Welcome back to Jesse Jameson and Friends and hauntings or ghosts or we're about to find out. Brian, before we uh, went to break, you're telling us about how you moved out to Harvard, Illinois. You've got this long train ride into work each day, but you actually are one of the few people that really enjoy it and almost need it, right? We need that time to prepare. Please continue your story. I'm enthralled. Well, I do want to say, though, that that I have not ridden the train since February um, because of COVID. So I haven't haven't gone downtown, but working at home remote for this whole entire period. Just thought I'd throw that in there. But yes, for 10, for more than uh, 13 years, I rode that 90-minute train each each way. It's three hours a day on the train. It's a long time. But, you know, the train is, um, it has its own culture, too. And we had the first car next to the engine that we called the party car. And so when you're coming home from the day of work at night, you could bring out a six pack of beer and some goodies. And, and we'd sit there and just basically have a little social party every night. It's like a social club. You know, when and, you go to a football game and you have, uh, let's say you have season tickets, uh, you're going to meet a couple of other season ticket fans that get to know you by name and you start tailgating. In a weird way, this is your group. I'd imagine there was the same handful of people each day. You guys become friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and that, that group was numbered in the dozens of people. And we got invited to people's parties, you know, and one guy had an Oktoberfest party every year where he'd spend three or four grand on, on the, everything that he had. And it was, it was wonderful. You know, when um, I think of Oktoberfest, I'm thinking of, I don't know, the guys in suspenders and weird hats and really, you know, be- beer. Oh, he had that. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. he, he had that in droves. He, uh, he went all out, but, uh, yeah, he got invited to all kinds of events and, uh, you know, weddings and funerals and what have you. We had some people uh, that passed away while we were around, you know, and it was like a neighborhood, you know, but one that you interacted with every single day. And uh, you really got to know people and a lot of people became very good friends. Some of their best friends they met on the train, you know, and some people even met their spouses on the train. It really sounds to me like a wonderful place to meet wonderful people that can be lifelong buddies and friends. Um, It really, it really was. And I'd imagine when, it was bear versus lions. I'd imagine you took some grief. Oh, well, it was even worse than that because in our car, we had representatives of the entire NFC North. So we had Packers fans, we had Vikings fans, Lions fans, and Bears fans. It's beautiful, <laughs> though. That's awesome. I love that. So let me ask you this, Brian. Mm-hmm. You have, uh, I assume, a wife and, and some kids. I have a wife and two daughters, yes. And maybe a dog or two, right? Uh, yeah, we have a recent addition. Uh, Our dog is uh, was born on Christmas Eve. We'll have our first birthday coming up here. I need yeah. to get a puppy. I'm ready. Um, the reason I ask is I would imagine if you see or hear something spooky in the house or the barn, uh, it's one thing. But if the dog or the, ca- or the kids see something, I'd imagine it's terrifying. Well, it would yes. be terrifying for me. Who was the first to experience, and can you explain maybe the first couple weird experiences at the new house? Well, my wife is sensitive. So she feels things. She's, she's kind of an empath. And uh, she said that there was definitely um, some dark areas of the house, you know, the basement especially was something that she just avoided like the plague. She didn't want to go down there. Um, just a bad, bad vibe. Um, and she'd feel, you know, some, uh, just the energy around the house was negative and 
she didn't like the library, which is actually where I'm in right now. I have a, we call it the library because it's, it's, it's the old master bedroom of the house, but it was converted by the previous owner into an actual library. The one, one wall is a, it's a whole wall of books. I can actually show you that. Those are the best libraries. Those are the ones where you can get that sliding ladder that goes yeah. along the top. I love right. those. Yeah. yeah. Now, your house so. now has a little bit of magic to it that I love. Yeah, no, I, this was a big reason I purchased this house was this, to get this room, actually. Um, but this one, this, this room, she didn't like uh, the vibe in here either. And, um, you know, the other thing about haunted houses is that things just go wrong all the time. You know, things break frequently and um, always in the worst, situ worst timing, you know. And it seems like somebody's trying to, like, Make life difficult intentionally. <laughs> you know, that's the feeling you get, you know. And like the first five years, I, I've never blown an engine in my entire life. I'm a pretty mechanical guy. But I ended up blowing like four engines on power equipment, in, you know, in the first five, six years that I lived here. I was like, how? Never happened to me. And I take care. I change the oil. I make sure it's powerful. And yet these things, and, and every time it blew up, it was a, you know, $1,200 expense basically to get another engine in this thing. And uh, so let me ask you this, Brian, people want ex experiences, right? Or, mm -hmm. they, or the listeners want to hear experiences. Did right. you ever hear voices? Because if somebody hears, you know, that the engine blew out, they're thinking that sounds a little unlucky, but that doesn't necessarily. Well, that's, yes, that's I, I agree. That's purpose. not a, that's not a curse. Well, it sounds like a curse. Yeah. But it's not, it's not like hearing footsteps or that kind of thing. Um, again, I, I never, the closest I came to experiencing was um, really issues that we had with my oldest daughter. So um, she was really um, picking up stuff in a, in a more profound way than my wife even. And she was reporting seeing things you know, around the, around the place. Such as? Not nice entities, ghosts and, and even demons, you know. And um, there's one time where she was screaming and uh, said, what's wrong, what's wrong? And she goes, it's, it's right there, it's right there. And it just came right through you. And the second that she said, it just came right through me. I felt like, there's this like wave of energy that went through me and it was very palpable. You was know, it cold? Uh, like they describe yes. on TV? It was cold and it felt sinister. And it was a very profound, deep feeling that went right to the bone. And uh, I knew I didn't make it up. Was that yeah. your first experience? That was, I would say that was my first uh, real experience of that. And I think it was really, I have to say it was the only really profound eye-opening experience for me personally. So just out of, of Right. So just out of curiosity, how is that next train ride to work? Are you mentioning this to the train ride friends of yours? Are you keeping it to yourself? I'm basically keeping it to myself for the most part. Um, you know, it, uh, I kind of keep a lot of this stuff close to the vest for the most part. Um, if somebody else brings up a topic of haunted houses, I might chime in, you know, with some, some of my own anecdotes. But for the most part, um, I don't go around trying to chime up conversations on this topic, mainly because there's just so much skepticism about it. And uh, people don't 
not, they're not really that receptive to it. You know, it's, it's not something they enjoy talking about for the most part. So those conversations tend to be short lived, you know, when I do try to bring them up. Um, there's, there's very little genuine curiosity on the part of most people. So they just as soon change the topic back to the lions and bears, you know, as quickly as possible. So I, I just learned over time that, you know, this is my own personal interest. I might as well stick with it. And, you know, if I find somebody else has the interest, we can talk about it at that point, but I'm not going to bring it up for the most part more often than not. Did your daughter want to move? They all wanted to move. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, no, we're stuck here. I love it. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Um, we also had bought this house at the very tippy top of the market. And then this was in 2005. And then the market basically went straight downhill all the way to 2008. And so we ended up basically stuck here. And that's another sign of kind of where haunted houses have a tendency to trap you. You know, is it coincidence that we were brought into this situation at the very top of the market after we'd lost a hundred thousand on the previous house? And then boom, we, um, we, within three or four years, we lose another hundred grand of equity on this house, which we've never recovered from, by the way. Um, we haven't, we haven't, the house is still not um, recovered the loss from 2008. Uh, so we're still kind of underwater, still kind of trapped here, believe it or not. Um, and so, yeah, they, long story short, they, they, they definitely didn't like being here, you know. So you decide um, you decide that sa- selling the property is not an option. It never was a realistic option. But I'd imagine that as a family unit, you guys all love each other. You're still used yeah. to kind of strategizing together. Did you guys come up with some plans? And oh, by the way, on every ghost show I've ever seen, it seems like the dogs always get hounded by the ghost. Did you guys have any weird things where the dogs would start barking at nothing at all or staring at nothing at all? Um, nothing that really stands out. Um, we had a beagle at the time. Uh, we got the, the one we have now is another beagle. We, but we went for a good four years without a pet at all for after the last beagle died. Um, and I don't, I don't remember anything particularly standing out. Beagles bark a lot. So the beagle might have seen something and started barking, but that's not unusual because beagles just love to bark. So it, it's hard to tell whether they're acting unusual or not. I, I will say this one time anecdote. I was walking this beagle when we live in New Jersey. I was taking her for a walk and um, we were just walking along, happy-go-lucky. She's sniffing like beagles always do. And all of a sudden she stopped and started growling and the hair on her back went up like you've seen dogs do, you know. And she started tugging towards, there was a guy walking across the street and he was a good 40, 50, almost 50 yards away. And she was, you know, animated and just completely um, on edge as this guy walked. And she, she watched him go all the way down the street before she relaxed and we could resume the walk. And that stood out. It was like, holy smoke, what, what are you seeing in this guy? And he's not even close by. He's, you know, yards and yards away. So... Am I crazy? Am I crazy to tell you that I think dogs have a special evil sensor built uh, into yes. the system? No, I agree completely, and that's one of the reasons why I like having a dog around is because they are kind of an alarm, you know, built-in alarm. 
for that kind of thing. And so uh, let me ask you a curiosity question. You kind of are getting the inkling that your house is bona fide haunted. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a little piece of you that actually enjoys it? I mean, um, at the time. To me, it didn't. It never really bothered me that much, you know. Um, I, you know, it, it, there's a. It was kind of interesting to end up in a situation where you realize you kind of have the same problem that other talk others have talked and written about that you were familiar with. So, it was kind of an academic curiosity in a way to to have this place, but um, but the it, the story of what we've learned. And the steps we took to get to get the cleaned up, there's a lot of detail there. So we might want to start getting into that now. Yeah. So so how how does one learn about the history of their house? Do they go to the public library and look up the on member on the microfilm rooms uh, rolls? You, that's certainly one. That's certainly one thing that you can do. Um, I never had a lot of time to dig into that kind of thing. You know, I have curiosity about it, but I, I you know I don't. I'm a very, very busy guy. I just didn't have time to prioritize that. In the movies, they always ask the neighbor Hal or the neighbor Joe, right? And he says, well, you know, uh, the previous owners, the great-grandpa killed himself or hung himself in the barn. What, what happens when you start snooping around and asking? Well, <laughs> um, what, what happened was is that I ended up uh, bringing in a medium because uh, – it, it, the trouble with my oldest daughter was was alarming enough that I felt I needed to take steps to do it. I brought in the medium because I had studied paranormal phenomena for years, and I recognized the hallmarks, I recognized the signs, and I certainly didn't think that my daughter had any kind of unusual problem that required you know psychiatric intervention, for instance. So my first step was to literally bring in a medium, see if we could resolve something right then and there with that. And uh, this was a, a really, really gifted medium. And I agreed to work with her. Believe it or not, um, she was not familiar with what I was looking into at the time, which is a project I'm familiar with and was how we came together, which is Get Wisdom. And uh, my good friend, Carl Mollison. Um, Carl has put together a, um, a series of prayers uh, that's called Lightwork Healing Protocol. It's just a big prayer that covers all kinds of uh, contingencies that people have in life. And one of the things you can use the protocol for is to clean up a haunted house. And so in the process of doing the protocol, you're asking the divine realm or God or creator, or whatever you want to call the divine power that is, to come in and remove dark spirits. You know, And um, I was always a big fan of calling on the Archangel Michael to come in and and remove stuff too. So I had this idea of using the medium to be my eyes and ears because I, I am, I'm not psychic at all, you know, for the most part, I don't, I don't see things. I don't hear things. Most people would say that's great because there's something wrong with you if you do. (laughs) Uh, So, but I always believed in the phenomena. And uh, so I found somebody who was quite gifted. And what, we, what I decided to do was do the protocol with the psychic being my eyes and ears. And so we got into it and started going through it. And I, I asked, well, what's the first thing that you're seeing? And she goes, there's somebody here. And uh, well, who is it? And he goes, well, it's, 
He says he lived here and that this how this property is his and he wants all of you gone. Oh gosh, that's not good. Right when and, right, right, uh, way, right when you said that, I got a little bit of a chill on my arm. I don't yeah. know why, but I did. <laughs> and it turned out that this was um, somebody who lived on the property in the late 1800s. And um, he ended up dying, hanging himself in the barn. Oh, I, predict, I predicted it right then. That's yeah. probably why you had a smile on your face. We, we have about 30 seconds till we go to break. Okay. I want to let the listeners know that one of my favorite, probably my favorite show to listen to on Voice America is Get Wisdom with you and Carl. And mm -hmm. I urge all of our listeners to check out that show because you guys have done hundreds of episodes and they're all extremely entertaining. If you're not into the paranormal, they're still entertaining. But if you are in the paranormal uh, or into anything that deals with, you know, the afterlife and what have you, you should definitely listen to Get Wisdom. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back uh, to finish this uh, intriguing story with Brian. We'll be right back. All right. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. In business, many leaders have a great vision, but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you ever been interested in technology or the application? Technology is always changing and there is definitely a place for you in it. Listen for Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. Sharon and her guests teach you the skill set and present resources that help you incorporate and enhance technological know-how in your current career as well as prepare you for future success. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. So, Brian, I'm totally intrigued now. You just found out that an old geezer from the 1800s killed himself in the barn. Is there, a, is there a piece of you that wants to go to that exact spot in the barn? Or is there so many, is there, is there so many more pieces that you want, you got to fill me in? Fill me in on the blanks. Well, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot more that happens. So uh, in, a, in, the, in the outlook that I have, uh, when you encounter a ghost, and that's a ghost at that point, right? <clears throat> a deceased person is a ghost. 
But in the protocol, we actually call that a, um, a hybrid because there are ghosts that just are lost. You know, they're just wandering around and they're lost. It's caught and stuck in limbo is what we call them. And then there's other ghosts that actually like uh, victimizing people and stealing their energy from them and causing trouble and mischief, you know. And this is one of those guys. This was a guy that liked stirring up the pot, like really messing with people, you know. So what you want to do in these situations when you encounter a ghost is you want to ask them to return to the light, you know, and you call, you pray to God to come help this individual basically return to the light, which is go to heaven, right? They're stuck in this environment. Earthbound is one phrase or a ghost stuck in the earthbound environment, stuck in the astral plane. Um, Ghosts are deceased people. So here's my thinking. We all know that heaven is just us singing glorious songs to the Lord. <laughs> I could, I, if I were there, I would be like, hey, tell me when the Lord isn't looking. I'm going to go mess with some people back on earth. That would be fun, right? Um, I, my grandmother's 96. I love her to death, and I hope she lives to be at least 100. But let's say she were gone tomorrow. I have told her, uh, I said, Brian, or I'm telling you, Brian, I said, Grandma, while I'm going to the bathroom, make the lights flicker on and off so I know it's you. And then I thought about it and I'm all, I know it'll scare me. So, you know, maybe just do it once or twice. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you you would get that, you know, if somebody died and they were a ghost, that's a possibility that could happen that way. Once they return to the light or go to heaven, then they're, they're out of the environment. And the rules from heaven are that you're not allowed to interfere with the incarnated, you know, those that are still living in the earth environment you're not, you're not allowed to, to interact with them directly. Um, you can allow your presence to be known when they're suffering. You know, so a lot of people have reported feeling their deceased loved one close by when they're really down and out. You know? And that's allowed. God allows that kind of visit. But that's the extent of what's allowed. You know, moving, moving things around the house or proving their existence is not something that's allowed. Ghosts, on the other hand, don't have those restrictions. They can do whatever they want or can do. And if they've managed to gather a little power or figure out their environment to some extent, then they can start, you know, flickering the lights, footprints on the upstairs, you know, hallway, um, slamming doors. You know, these are ghosts that have discovered how to interact with the environment. And, you know, the movie, if you've seen the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore, um, that's very it's a very real depiction of, of what, uh, of how it works, you know, and he was trying to figure out how can I infect the physical environment? You know, it really is quite accurate. And we've asked, you know, within our context with Carl Malson, we've asked um, the divine, you know, questions about how authentic is that? And the answer was very authentic. So, um, so this was a particularly troublesome individual and I invited him to go back to light. He refused. He didn't want to. You know, I'm hearing all this feedback from the medium, the medium saying he doesn't want to go. He's refusing. He says, this is my my property. I want you out of here. It's like, well, no, it's my property. Now you're out of here. (laughs) That was my response. And in order to get rid of him, I I called in the, you know, Archangel Michael to come and assist. And uh, Michael came and um, the guy was removed. So he wasn't taken to heaven. He was simply 
removed from the environment of the property and barred from ever returning. Evicted, if you will. Evicted, by the yes. By the constable Archangel Michael. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. So was that, okay, so was... And, and the medium saw Michael come in and take him away. So he legitimately was a resident from the late 1800s. Yes. That you, that you could technically look up if you... I could. I never got around to doing it, but... Was, uh, was there any other people that had well, yes. committed suicide so, or murder? So after, after, he, after he was removed... Then there was um, a young woman who was also a ghost, and uh, she had uh, committed suicide as well. We're not sure how she did it. Might have poisoned herself or something. She was relatively easy to move on, so that wasn't, that wasn't a big thing. And then there was a young boy, more of a teenager, I guess, who was uh, very unhappy. Um, with his, uh, with his lot in life. And he ended up committing suicide by uh, laying down in the stalls and allowing the, car, the cows to trample him to death. That's oh, wow, <laughs> not a good way to go. But um, so that way it kind of looked like an accident, but it was actually a suicide. Uh, we, have, we assisted him to move on as well. That, that was successful also. Then we came to another one and this was um a man i think his name was john um not memory might be failing me but he had um in the library he had burned himself to death and it's funny because my wife always reported that there was a smoky smell in the library that she could never, she never could figure out where that came from. But every time she walked in the library, it smelled like smoke. That's kind of chilling. She's the only one that smells it. Yes. Not, right. Okay. Right. Right. And um, so, but it turns out that he had killed, and this was in the fifties. He apparently did this early fifties. Um, so he did it because he was part of, and feeling guilt from an incident that took place in 1932, I think the medium said, where there was a satanic ritual done in the basement of the house where two people were killed, a father and a daughter. And the father and daughter were still around also. So we had to move on the father and daughter to the light and then we had to begin taking steps to clean up the environment of the basement because anytime that you have that kind of activity, that explains why my wife wanted to stay out of the basement and stay away, far away from it as possible. And um, we just had so many problems with the basement. The basement, we have fly problems down there, spiders. We, ended up, we have like, uh, there's one time I went down to clean up, I mean, there must have been 200 spiders down there. You know. Are you serious? I, I one of my favorite yeah. movies of all time is one called Arachnophobia. Yeah, and uh, when you say two hundred spiders, that's what it reminds me of, and uh, that that that. Well, I, I, you know, I would clean it up, and we don't go down to the basement that often, but I clean it up and let three or four months go by, and I go down there, and it's just spider webs everywhere to the point that you're doing this, you know, moving them out of the way, and we could just never figure out how to get rid of the spiders, you know? And, and what I, one time I did 
spent quite a bit of trouble was uh, they said that you could use coconut oil that would discourage the spiders. You know? So I went down there and I sprayed like the whole basin with coconut oil. Well, one of the questions you have to ask is, well, if, what's, how are these spiders surviving, right? They need a food source. Well, when I eliminated them for at least three or four months, we ended up with flies down there. And we're talking like hundreds of flies. It was like the whole winch, the whole windowsill of the, of the basement window was just covered, carpeted with dead flies. They were all over the place. And so, well, that's, that's what the spiders are living on because we never saw flies down there, but we saw all these spiders. Well, you take the spiders away, suddenly it became evident what their food supply was. So, you know, and, and flies are something that is very common to haunted houses. You know, that's, that's a common manifestation. So, um, I don't know even what the flies were surviving on down there, but it's, it was a, just a negative environment that we just had trouble with all along. And um, so, we took steps to clean it up uh, with the medium as well. Brian, can, can, uh, can hauntings occur to the point where the people that live in the house that are actual real entities, such as yourself and stuff, it sounds to me like almost everybody in this house wanted to commit suicide or was some sort of depressed funk. Yes. Is there a chance yes. that maybe it used to be Native American lands? And I suppose it's a possibility. Um, negativity? It's a possibility. I mean, this is an old farming community. This is one of the original founding farms of the area. And um, this is all surrounded by suburban buildup now. But originally, this uh, was a 200-acre farm. And we still got the barn. It was, this was a dairy farm, you know, so they, they raised dairy cattle. And um, so it's hard to say. Yeah, it could, I guess it could have been built on Indian burial ground or something. But uh, somehow, you know, it, it, it got off to a bad start. You know, you had the guy that killed himself in the late 1800s in the barn. That could create a kind of negative environment that could attract more negativity. And then, you know, obviously the... Uh, Satanic ritual would have been, you know, a super spreader event, so to speak, right. in terms of bringing in negativity. And one of the biggest problems that we had to deal with was getting rid of the demon. So all of this negativity was had attracted, but also was being enhanced by the presence of a demon. And um, and that we had to remove as well. And I had to call Mark Arch Archangel Michael again to have this demon removed. Is it you calling them or is Carl and the light? I call the protocols. Okay. No, the, uh, Michael's my own addition to that. And I, I just feel an affinity for Michael and Michael's never failed me. So, um, but it's funny because in the light worker healing protocol, we did ask for the, the, uh, the demon to be removed and the, the medium saw lots and lots of angels coming in, but then being swatted away like flies by this demon. This is a very, very powerful demon. And uh, literally hundreds of angels were attempting to remove this guy. And, and she, just, she just kept reporting that they were swatting him away right and left. And uh, it was only when I called in Archangel Michael that the demon was successfully removed. And she said she saw Michael come in with all his armor and everything. <laughs> you know? And um, once that demon was gone the place transformed, you know, it, uh, it, it really, my daughter stopped having any issues. 
Um, my wife reported it felt more neutral, cleaner than it ever had. Um, and a lot of the problems that we just had kind of stopped. You know, um, you, know, um, you know, as well as I do, Brian, some people will hear that and say, oh, that's a bunch of hooey, right? But those mm-hmm. same people, and I only say this because you brought up real estate at the beginning of the, of the show, those same people will bury a statue of St. Anthony or St. whatever in the back right. of their yard to sell their house, right? And there are so right. many anecdotal stories of houses that just did not sell, and then they bury this little statuette in their backyard, and before you know it, it sells. And if yes. you guys think I'm crazy and making that up, ask a realtor. They will all tell you the same story, that it, it really brings about good luck. I know, yes. in, uh, I know in Asian culture, especially if you go to the casinos, they all love jade. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that kind of greenish looking stone, it brings about good luck and it mu- there must be something to it because they all have jade. Now when I right. say all people are going to get on me, you've got about three and a half minutes left. Can you tell us a little bit about how I imagine at this point was kind of when you and Carl were starting to make a relationship again, you and Carl right. are hosts on a show on our network called Get Wisdom, which is my favorite show on the network. Yes. Tell, tell us a little bit about Carl for the last three minutes or how you and Carl. Well, okay. So the funny thing is, is that I actually reached out to Carl because of the problems with the house. I actually reached out to him. I, I, I'd seen the, the episodes on YouTube of him and Denny. And I thought he talked about the light work healing protocol. And I thought, gosh, I need, I need a session. I need him to do a remote clearing of the house. And so I just picked up the phone on a Sunday afternoon and called his number and he answered right away. And I started describing, you know, the situation and that I wanted to get a, uh, a clearing and so on and so forth. And we ended up talking for like two hours off that first phone call. And it was funny because when I started the negotiation about hiring him for a, um, a session, he said, well, why not, you know, I just feel like you should do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he's, he's never does that with almost anybody, but for some reason he just felt like I should do it myself. He goes, I'm having my first training in like working in protocol in like three weeks. And why don't you sign up for it? And, and you can learn to do this yourself. I said, okay. So that, that was towards on the other two. On your, on your show. You're always urging people to visit you and become light heart worker, uh, part right. of the protocol, so to speak. Right. So in a right. weird way, this was you becoming what yeah. you're preaching, right? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that's what happened. I ended up taking the training. And when I took the training, I did a spirit rescue of a college buddy that had committed suicide, hung himself in his basement. And to me, that was one of the most powerful personal paranormal experiences I ever had was performing that rescue. And uh, I, I could actually feel the distress at a deep level when I was going through the, the process. And um, Carl, you know, reported that the, the, uh, the rescue was successful. And there's actually on my, the Get Wisdom on my bio page on getwisdom.com, if you go to Brian Kelly's bio page, there's a link where I have, I, share the story of that spirit rescue of my friend from college. The spirit rescue of my friend Paul is the title of that paper that you can download. It's PDF. So um, I learned how to do the protocol, and I was persuaded that it was very powerful. 
And so it was, it was not a week after the training that uh, I got a hold of the medium to act as my eyes and ears. And then I sat down and we took the, went through the process of cleaning the house up. Our, um, our show is pretty much down to the last couple seconds here, but people love this topic so much. And you guys talk about topics like this week in and week out on Give That's Wisdom. Right. Yes. So I want uh, all of our listeners to not only be fans of the Jesse Jameson and Friends show, but I would love for you guys to sneak over on the Variety Channel and check out Get Wisdom. And I believe it's also on our Empowerment Channel, too. Yes, it so is. It gets, gets yes. a lot of uh, listenership. Brian, you're always a friend of me, and, and Jesse Jameson and Friends loves having you come on. Can we count on you to come on and again in the future and share another Absolutely. Story? Sure, anytime. So uh, to everybody, join us again next week. And uh, you guys have a wonderful day out there. And Brian, thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Jesse Jameson and Friends. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Be sure to tune in again next week for another great story. Jesse Jameson and Friends is heard every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Jesse Jameson and Friends is a proud presentation of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. All rights reserved.